are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. You're listening to the first and only program all about the Affordable Care Act, what it means to you and the changes in the three major industries that it affects, which are insurance, technology, and healthcare, obviously. And this is the first of a two-part look at the ACA here in the second quarter. We're joined by uh, Stuart Slonen, our uh, guest contributor of the week, an industry authority. And uh, we're talking about uh, last segment exchange retention rates. But uh, let's shift the, uh, the conversation a little bit to uh, medication use Stuart, are, are you there? And um, yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, before we touch on that, let me just throw something out. <clears throat> I think we have to look at the broad audience that's affected by, by the uh, Cannibal Care Act. You've got a home health care worker in Durham, North Carolina, a McDonald's cashier in Chicago, a bank teller in New York, an adjunct professor in Mayfield, Illinois. They are all evidence of an, of an improving economy. But in addition, besides their working, these same people also rely on public assistance. They rely on food stamps, Medicaid, and some other stretches of the safety net, including Obamacare. The question that should be asked is why. If you look at the broad stretch of where assistance is offered uh, in Obamacare, up to 400 percent of the, uh, you know, of, of the of uh, the, the needy population, I think you're also looking at a segment that they can't they can't buy insurance in the standard marketplace at standard rates because either of their income and or also because of their health. So for them, it's been the last repository of being able to find some type of coverage at quote unquote you know affordable prices, but they still need help anyway. Right, right, right. Uh, 402-342-1290. Do you mind taking a – got a call. you got a question for you, Stuart. you okay with that? Sure. All right, Russell, you're on America's Healthcare Challenge. Thanks for calling. we got a line open, 402-342-1290, if you want to join. Your question, sir. Oh, uh, great show, Sean. Uh, this is Russell W. Hey, um, could you ask uh, your guest, Stuart, uh, who's doing a great job, you know, does he think uh, hospitals that may even be around in five years? What do you think about that question? That's an excellent question. Um, I think you're going to you're going to see a, a lot of uh, amalgamation between hospitals. Uh, so I think you'll see fewer hospitals. You'll see larger hospital chains, and I'm not talking about the ones that already exist. You'll see hospitals that'll get together uh, either because of geographic uh, duplication or because of financial considerations. Remember, all of these hospitals. The largest segment of their income is Medicare, aside from from what they receive in Medic and Medicaid uh, money as well. So if you're if you're uh, affected, your bottom line is affected by reductions uh, in Medicare funding. Obviously, you're going to see a, a lot of consolidation. Yes, I agree uh, that we'll see fewer hospitals uh, than we're seeing today. Russell, thanks for your question and excellent point. Appreciate you listening to the program. I think I saw some similar studies that that kind of showed i believe half the hospitals by 2020 might be closed and our home state lost our our first hospital closed down and became a clinic but that's probably where things are going 
And it's, uh, well, a lot of it is because in this point we have here a hospital expenses. I suppose when you wrote that down, Stuart, you might have been thinking from the uh, consumer standpoint, but these hospitals have a, a ton of new expenses as well when you yep. factor in electronic medical records and uh, mm-hmm. diminishing reimbursements and so on and so forth. You know, you brought up a point a second ago, and I, and I think I'll, I'll jump on that moving forward, uh, Sean, is that hospitals still... They're trying to offset their their internal uh, charges by continuing these increases, which are in excess of 10%. 10% is an interesting bottom line because that's what the government, both on the state and federal level, is watching in terms of rate increases that are being asked for by insurance companies. And what I found interesting here is the prescription drug usage jumped 13%. Last year, a lot of this is is new people that opted into the Affordable Care Act that before their use of the of of ACA, they paid for their prescriptions in cash. Right. Normally filled, you know, they were uninsured, uh, and so since their involvement in in the Affordable Care Act, that payment, uh, uh, you know, by paying in cash, declined by five point five percent because it was picked up by the system. But their drug use increased by 13%. That's a meaningful number. So who's paying for that 13%? The system? The system. I.e. the taxpayer? Yep. I think we might have to use that term, the system. Because it is. Yeah, it's you, it's, its own beast, it seems yes. like. Um, yeah. What do you think is going to happen on that point of medication use? These, these policies, do you think they're going to start using... Um, what different, you know, tightening up their formularies, reclassifying certain drugs potentially? Well, they do. They they do every year. And what's interesting is from a time standpoint, and again, in this program, we're talking about the second quarter, and we'll pick up on this again, you know, the, the next uh, time that we cover the second quarter uh, discussion. What you're going to see in pricing for 2016's open marketplace beginning in October is companies, again, that are applying for their rates, and they have to be in by June, by the way. So yes. it's going to be interesting. They, their rates have to be in before we know what the Supreme Court decision uh, is going to be, which generally probably is going to be at the end of June. But their prices, uh, you, know, I, you know, I would look for, for double-digit rate increases, you know, come this year. So we're talking about, you know, Somebody pays maybe an average of four hundred a month, at least an extra forty a month. Best Easily. case scenario. Easily. Good point on that rates coming out before the the Supreme Court, and maybe we should help people understand the process of of how it goes through because there were times I think last year and the year before I was paying attention to uh, wanting to know what the rates were, and we couldn't even get them even by the October deadline. It takes them several months to go through the process of getting approved because, again, in well, the act, you know, making them justify their rate increases, essentially. Well, again, Sean, you've picked up uh, an interesting, uh, you know, topic for today's discussion, the second quarter, because inside that all-important second quarter, when we get to May, we get the statistical uh, information from the large consulting firms in terms of what the actual cost for medical care will be in the employer marketplace going into the next calendar year. So it'll be a headlight 
uh, understanding of what 2016 rates are going to look like in the employer marketplace. And so that's before we even get to June, where the individual carriers have to tell us what the what the rates are going to look like inside of Obamacare. So the second quarter is really an important uh, uh, looking ahead right. based upon what's happened generally the first four to five months uh, of the year. I want to touch on one more point before I, I want to get your predictions and final thoughts for you know how you see things, and we can come back in the fourth quarter and see if you're right. But one of the things that I think were left out, and I might sound like a broken record, but I think they don't get enough good uh, people advocating for them are physicians in the yeah. ACA. It just seems like they didn't even really get a seat at the table from my standpoint, and now they're just deal with all i mean they're the ones that have to do all of the work here you know for this system and so interested in your thoughts on them well let me let's go back uh to your own personal professional experience and and my knowledge as well the the uh, american medical association did get a seat at the tape at the table in february of 2009 the first time that mr obama opened up uh the discussion to quote-unquote all interested parties who would be a part of this proposed legislation. They did get a seat at the table. But in their defense, uh, here you have a physician that's now operating under Obamacare rules and with the reimbursement that they're getting from the state and federal exchanges. They're asked to undo 10 years of neglect, uh, neglected health in six months or less by all these new people. So every month, these patients come in to use the system, and they have health insurance for the first time, and they go see a doctor about these long neglected, uh, you know, symptoms. So it's it's ripped the invisibility of millions of people who ignored the signs of their deteriorating health until the consequences really are are irreversible, and these poor people expect that what they didn't do all the previous years to be corrected by their sudden involvement in Obamacare. It puts a tremendous amount of pressure on physicians. You could understand why their professional liability is as high as it is. You know, thousands of these patients need specialty care. Uh, you know, they, they have either Medicare or Medicaid reimbursement rates, which are very low for the doctors. And the doctors are straining to treat urgent and expensive problems while paying for their rising office overhead and this, these higher expenses are because the new regulations force them to have more software, hardware, staff time. And so some cap the number of Medicaid patients they can, uh, they can accept in their practice to balance out their practice. It, it's really a juggling act. I mean, uh, my heart goes out. You know, I've, I've had a personal situation with my wife, and, and so I've seen this in action. You can almost set your second hand by how much time these physicians have to work even though you're a paying patient, versus those that have a sizable amount of their practice with with Obamacare reimbursement. Yeah, good point. Good point. We got a we got a couple minutes here before we got to let you go here for the hour. But um, wanted to get your your uh, predictions here. You said uh, quarter two is important to kind of look at things. You care to uh, go out there and put put your predictions out there? Well. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'm I'm going to take the the callous position and say we're at the very start of the second quarter. Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to share some other things uh, the next time we get together. But 
we'll get a lot more of these uh, consultant statistics during this quarter to know what to expect and, and how we should uh, plan uh, as we move ahead. Great. There's a lot of this year you know, to plan ahead for. There sure is. There sure is. Stuart, thanks so much for your time here on the program. What's your phone number in case somebody wants to get a hold of you? Phone number is 954-380-8682. All right. That was Stuart Slonen, president of SIG Consulting, LTD down in Florida, talking about the quarter two of the ACA, what we're, where we are now, where we go from here. And we'll bring him back here next week or the week after to uh, finish the rest of that uh, conversation because it is an important year. And we're taking a break right now.